when we think about meeting the needs of, of our producers, um, you know, really being able to look at at uh, our production system, understand what is what is most important for us, uh, understand some important measurables that we need to be looking at, uh, you know, with, with our cow herd and and it all goes back to really just focusing on the on the basics, uh, making sure that we get a we get acceptable calf crop wean. Uh, we do it at a, at a cost structure that's going to be economical for us, allow us to be able to stay in business, uh, as we, as we go forward. Um, you know, but we think about, you know, making sure that, you know, we're meeting cow requirements and we're meeting needs on an annual basis. To me, that comes back to, are we able to maintain those females in an acceptable body condition, uh, to the extent that we can get an acceptable pregnancy rate? at a cost structure that is profitable for us year in and year out. And that's ultimately what I think. A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to the farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. High D from DSM Firmanish can help your cattle get the vitamin D they need this winter. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Contact us for time and labor saving solutions. Welcome to the Beef Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and everything that's working in the global beef industry. Data shows most cattle don't get the vitamin D they need, especially in winter months. High D from DSM Firmanish can ensure your cattle get the recommended vitamin D level to support bone strength, help immunity, and improve performance. Visit dsm.com forward slash hy d to learn more. Hi, welcome to the Beef Podcast. I'm Brad White, one of the hosts, and happy to have Dr. Jason Warner with us today. Good afternoon, Jason. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me on. How you doing? Good. We're, we are going to have a good conversation today and, and talk about what I know is one of your favorite topics, cows. So we'll talk about cows and a little bit about calves, touch on some nutrition, but lots of good information here relative to cow-calf management, cow-calf health, and we're going to talk about some of the new things, even though cows have been around for a long time, there's some new things, some new opportunities coming out. Before we dive into that, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, well, thanks, Brad. Uh, so, so yeah, so I've uh, been at Kansas State University now for just a little over a year. I started last uh, August, August of 2022, uh, originally from Nebraska. I grew up in, in South Central Nebraska, uh, family uh cow-calf and diversified farming operation there. Um, that's what really, of course, like all of us, you know, got got the interest sparked and, and really, uh, really helped kind of fuel my interest in, in being in, in this profession. And and uh, went through University of Nebraska-Lincoln uh, for my training, worked in industry for about uh, seven years, uh, primarily on, on the nutrition side of the industry, and uh, always really enjoyed uh, the extension and the research aspect of, of what we do at, at land grant institutions, and so that's what what drew me to Kansas State. And so I've uh, had the opportunity to come on board uh, the Department of Animal Sciences and Industry uh, as a faculty member. So primarily an extension uh, specialist, mostly an extension 
a smaller research appointment, uh, but really focused on on serving our producers around the state, uh, our stakeholders, uh, allied industry as well, our, our extension staff, and and uh, primarily on the cow calf nutrition reproductive management side of things. So, uh, so it's been been great. I really enjoy working with producers, and and uh, and we have a lot of good ones here. Uh, not only as we do across all across the country, but but here in, in this general area, and fortunate to work with them. So. Yeah, and that's a that's a good thing. And and your specialty areas or expertise are are in some great ones for cow calf because we, we will sometimes talk about the nutrition or rations in in other production species, but on the on the cow side, that's a, that's one of our big drivers of whether herds are profitable or not. Right? How we how we feed them, how we manage them, and and the other side that you mentioned, the repro. The other place we look. So maybe thinking about those, what, what do you see as some of the opportunities in beef cattle nutrition and management, or what are what are some of the new things maybe coming down the pike, even management or nutrition wise? You know, it's 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 interesting. So when we think about a lot of these things, as I think about specifically kind of segmenting out our our industry, you know our. All, all facets of our of our cattle industry, we've got to function and work cohesively together in order to be to be successful, right? But when I think about specifically the cow calf segment of of that industry, you know, it's a it's a segment that I think historically we've been a little lower rate of return, uh, consistent uh, consistent profitability, maybe more so than what we've seen uh, from some of the other segments of the industry, but a little bit lower rate of return uh, as a result. With just the way the business is structured, there's never been uh, historically as much of a need for folks to uh, adopt, um, you know, more advanced nutrition management practices and and uh, maybe implement some new technologies because the, the rate of return there initially maybe isn't quite there as as what we would typically see and as we get into the stocker and the finishing segments of the industry, and so. You know, when I when I think about it, I, I think that that is an area of the industry that probably can uh, can stand to benefit the most from uh, from from research, application of new information and, and technologies, uh, and it's a little bit quicker to see rates of return and response from the adaption uh, and the utilization of some of those things when we get into get into feed yard sectors, and so those are kind of some things that I that I generally. Uh, just kind of big picture when I think about just the way our, our industry is structured and 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 how uh, folks generally approach things. But you know when I when I think about uh, on the nutrition side of things, uh, you know the the cow in and of herself is an area that just in general we don't know as much about her because people have not focused uh, the time and the effort and in in the research side of things uh, maybe as as trying to understand her as well as what we do. The finishing animal, and and so I think that there's a lot of opportunity for uh, for growth there, and and uh, for us as a profession to contribute to the knowledge base and 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 the improvement and the, and the success of that of that segment of the industry. Um, you know, some things that I that I think are important uh, that I think we don't have a very good handle on is really having a very good uh, a true understanding of what really drives forage intake in, in beef cows and, and specifically understanding forage intake in a grazing situation and how that comes back to impact uh, 
the ability for that female to meet her protein and energy requirements. That's just an area when we think about nutrition in general and specifically on the cow side of things, we don't have a very good handle on. That's that's an area that uh, that that certainly I think is, is one where we can we can stand to benefit from some work on. Yeah, and let me follow up on that, Jason, because there's there's a couple things there relative to forage intake on cows that I'd like to get your opinion on because one one way to look at it is the variability among cows, and then we could be talking forage intake or feed efficiency of the grazing adult, or yep. the selection of forages that they that they pick. Because once those cows learn what they like to eat, that's what they like to eat, and they're not eating to fulfill necessarily a nutritional requirement as much as this is what I like to eat, and hopefully, hopefully it's good. What do you see uh, advances in either managing selective grazing or limiting selective grazing and how do we handle that variability among cows or is there a lot of variability among cows i think the information would suggest there certainly is a lot of variability uh, among those among those animals um and just truly being able to get good estimates of of what those values are in a in a grazing situation gets to be gets to be challenging there's uh, the, 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 var- the variation that we see there from animal to animal is, is certainly, certainly real. Um, I think at the, I think at the same time too, you know, we, we always got to be focused on, you know, the overall average of the herd and that's how we're going to try to, that's how we're going to try to approach things. But that individual animal to animal variation is, is, uh, very, very substantial. Um, and so, you know, when, it, when, when we think about we think about things like, you know, trying to put, you know, and, and you kind of think about how we tie in what folks are doing on the genetic side of things and kind of the way the way the industry is is uh, is focused on trying to improve efficiency, try to decrease cost of production, because you know that that's important. You know, we're trying to get a good handle on on what drives forage intake um, because of that variability, is there the opportunity to put selection pressure on it? All those kinds of questions, you know, those things are important. And that's an area where that, that drives our costs. And uh, that's that's going to gonna have implications for us as we go into the future, for sure. So following up on the, on the grazing, and I may ask a question. I don't know if you've done anything in this area, but is the grazing behavior... Is that innate or is it learned? Because I know there's there's some areas of the country where we graze different pastures and the calf grazing with his mom, if she goes up the hill, he goes up the hill or or not. How, how much of that do you think is innate versus learned behavior? If it's learned, we might be able to teach them to graze a little bit different. I think to an extent it is it is learned. I, I think I think the data would suggest that that is that that is uh, that is inherently true. Um, you know, I, I think when we take we take animals from one location, one environment, put them in a different one. You know, we, we oftentimes will see anecdotal evidence that our that our performance uh, may not necessarily be the same. Uh, and I think a lot of that is is due to a a learned a learned behavior when when those animals are, are out there in that type of a in that type of a setting. Um, you know, an example, an example of that would be, you know, when we think about, um, you know, for instance, this time of year, you know, folks going out and, and grazing, grazing cattle on, on crop residues after harvest, uh, you know, that there's, in, there's some, there's people that have, have, uh, have told me, 
you know, multiple times. And I think there's some data that would support this, that, you know, when they, when they have a set of young females, uh, maybe even first calf heifers, as an example, that if they've never, if they've never been on, on a type of forage base like that before, and they see it for the first time, uh, there's a lot of time spent by those animals where they're, they're walking the fence and they're not truly, uh, truly grazing like they would if, uh, had they been previously exposed to it, those, those types of things. Um, so I think that is certainly real. I think the, the learned aspect of it, uh, there's a lot that we don't know about these animals. And I think that's certainly part of it, but, um, you know, those are just some things I think we think about just cow nutrition in general and kind of applying it back to what we see out there. Those are some areas we don't know a lot about, or we have, we have substantial knowledge to gain, certainly. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, there's a lot to learn there. And that's what I've seen that before where while the heifers, as you described, are walking the fence. Uh, the cows are going to get the good stuff because they've been there before. They know what they're going to. They're, they're going to find uh, whatever's potentially the best to to get out of that if it's in a uh, corn residue or whatever they're in. So and there's some advantages to having been there before. Yep, yep. I think that's certainly true. Yeah. So, so yep. following up on the on the feeding grazing side, one of the one of the things to think about from a nutrition standpoint is always. How, how well do our cows match our environment, right? Because you just talked about there's some variation around the country, what type of feed we have, what type of cows. Does that tie into this discussion on matching specific cow type, either size or uh, frame of cow relative to where we are located? I think that is that is certainly the case. You know, that that's always the always the mindset that we want to try to try to achieve the goal I think we want to try to achieve is 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 having having a, a, a cow herd that's developed to really thrive and be productive in, in the environment that you are in um, and and sometimes I wonder we, we've I, I know producers we've certainly made a lot of progress in that area but at the same time too you think about cattle are extremely mobile now today uh, you know with, with way that we just manage cattle in general maybe you know, more so, I think probably than what they have been in the past. And, and, you know, there's, there's, there's cattle getting moved all over the country, maybe from, from, uh, from one corner of one state to another corner of another state, uh, you know, maybe for six months out of the year, just depending on what the situation is, those, those types of management activities that um, you always kind of wonder, okay, well, you know, how well uh, are some of these animals really able to really truly adapt and then get, uh, get really ingrained into their environment. And then I think certainly the longer they're in one place, the longer that that can happen, uh, the more extent that that can happen. But, uh, but sometimes I wonder uh, how, how much selection we put on that and, and uh, do we have a real great way to measure it and, and uh, truly understand it. But it's certainly part of it, absolutely. Yeah. So what are the, we started this, this part talking about opportunities for the, for the cow-calf producer how do these feeding, grazing, understanding which cows, how they match the environment, how does this play into an opportunity for us as, as cow-calf producers? What what actions could I take? You know, so, so as I think about it, I think really, you know, when we think about meeting the needs of, of our producers, um, you know, really being able to look at at uh, our production system, understand what is what is most important for us. Uh, understand some important measurables that we need to be looking at, uh, you know, with, with our cow herd and, 
And it all goes back to really just focusing on the on the basics, uh, making sure that we get a we get an acceptable calf crop wean. Uh, we do it at a at a cost structure that's going to be economical for us, allow us to be able to stay in business uh, as we as we go forward. Um, you know, but we think about you know making sure that you know we're meeting cow requirements and we're meeting needs on an annual basis. To me, that comes back to are we able to maintain those females in an acceptable body condition uh, to the extent that we can get an acceptable pregnancy rate at a cost structure that is profitable for us year in and year out? And that's ultimately what I think we've, we've got to ultimately look at. Uh, those are the those are the big things that I think that oftentimes I think we forget. Those are the fundamental things we've always got to go back to. Yeah. So if you're measured, if you're measuring productivity, you're really looking at are, are we getting the cows bred every year? And are they staying in the herd and are they staying in reasonable body condition, in which case they're getting bred? Reproduction's got to be part of it. Re- reproduction has ultimately, ultimately got to be part of it. So, uh, ab- absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing. It's one thing if we have a, if we have a female uh, that maybe her, her mature weight, her mature size is a little bit bigger, Um and maybe her initial cost structure in terms of her cost per head per day is maybe a little bit higher based on what her forage intake is. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if that female rebreeds every year uh, and on we look at it on a herd average basis uh, of her percentage calf crop weaned as a you know, relative to the number of females we expose, if, if that's acceptable for us, and by that I'm usually meaning somewhere between, uh, you know, maybe 84, 85% or higher, if that's better for us in, in that regard, then that's workable. So um, the females ultimately got to fit from a reproduction standpoint. That's ultimately what it what it comes back to. Well, and that's what it, just what I was going to ask you is you already led into it. You're one step ahead of me. But the, thinking about the targets, so you said 84 to 85% would be calves weaned per cow exposed. That's your That's right. That's your target. Yep. And then playing into that, comes the the pregnancy rate. So if I look at uh, pregnancy rate at say mid gestation or when we would typically preg check, what's your target for for pregnancy rate in those cows? Because that gives me kind of an early evaluation of what next year will be like. Absolutely. So you know, there's there there's some different ways that, that someone can approach this. I think you know when we look at the overall the overall picture of the U.S. cow herd in general. I think the data would say, based on the number of calves that we get weaned relative to our, to our total cow herd inventory, you know, I, I think we're we're probably somewhere like eighty-two to maybe eighty-four percent uh, total total wean relative to the total number of, of, of females that we have there. Um, and so, I think if you back out of it, if the data would say, well, okay, if you can have, uh, you know, if you can have, let's just say uh, a uh, 96% pregnancy rate, um, you know, in a, in a set of females. So if you run 4% open and then, okay, maybe if you have another three, 4% uh, calf death loss in there somewhere uh, prior to the start of the, prior to the start of the calving season uh, and then another three to 4% calf death loss somewhere right in there around calving up until the time of weaning. Okay. So if you have, you know, 8% there and you're on 4% open, you know, okay. So now you're back to 12%. Maybe you can be, 
87, 88% total weaned of exposed. Uh, that's kind of the kind of the rule of thumb that I, I like to use there. So I think that's certainly achievable for a lot of operations. Um, you know, again, I think our, our national average, when you look at it, number of calves weaned relative to the total cow herd base uh, would be a little bit lower than that. Uh, but I think those numbers are certainly achievable for a lot of, a lot of producers. Uh, when I look at what our pregnancy rates are, um, I think that's certainly doable. It's just a matter of are we calculating it in that manner and really understanding those numbers. So Yeah, I think that's a great point because you, you're the way you're describing it uh, allows me to account for the number of cows that I had when the bull bred them, which would be oh, right several months ago last year, and then yep. they calved this year, and then they weaned those calves. So it's not as simple as counting how many calves and how many cows I have today. It is right. how many cows that I have at the breeding season, one breeding season ago, right? Exactly, and that and that's just that's just one of those measurements that I think I think is really important when we think about just evaluating the productivity of a herd uh, overall. I think that's an important thing to go back to. You know, when, when you talk to folks, we can look at this a couple of different ways. Is it is it you say, okay, if I'm looking at a at a weaning rate on a on a cow herd, is that just number of calves weaned relative to the number of live calves that you that you had when you were all done calving, uh, or relative to the number of pregnant females that you had at the start of that calving season? But going back to, you know, when we initially uh, started this conversation about just ways to think about where we can improve performance on a set of cows and understand are are we are we meeting the nutrient requirements of a cow herd on a on an annual basis, doing that substantially and and doing that in an economical manner. Understanding looking at calves weaned per cow exposed on that basis, like we're describing here, I think that's just a really important measurement for uh, for understanding where we are from a, from just an overall production standpoint. And it accounts for those other losses. Uh, that we can have throughout that production cycle. It's harder with cows because our 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 biological uh, window there is is longer. And as you alluded to, Brad, yeah, we've got uh, we've got maybe 16, 17 months there from the time when we make the decision to breed a set of females until we get that ultimate calf crop weaned. Uh, but it's an important number to look at because if we have some issues, maybe with uh, with either pregnancy rate on a set of females, or maybe just management right around the time of calving. Maybe it's a health concern for us, those types of things. For whatever reason, we can't, we're a little bit lower there on the number that we would like to have uh, from calves weaned per cow exposed. You know, we can we can use those numbers to help identify where that's coming from. Oh, you're absolutely right. I, I think that's a, that's the key. Yep. 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 And that, and that, that to me is, is the big thing is, okay, really being able to break it down, understand where those losses are coming from so we can pinpoint management, right? So I may uh, transition topics here a little bit. And, and and one of the other ones that I know I wanted to visit with you about is we're coming into fall, winter. So as we think about managing cows, and it's relevant to this conversation we were just having, because often this is, uh, we're around pregnancy test time. For a lot of herds. So they're going to be evaluating pregnancy. They're going to be thinking about winter. Some parts of the country have been short on hay, fall grazing, other supplies. 
give me some tips for managing my cows. And, and I'll just give you the scenario of a spring calving herd. And I want to manage my cows from now through spring, thinking about the nutrition, anything else you might want to throw in there. You know, I think really now is, is a key time to be really just thinking about some some key management strategies for this coming up fall. And as I think about, to me, you know, one, one of the biggest ones is with higher higher feed costs, and we're working, as you, as you mentioned, we're working into a situation where uh, we've got tighter forage inventory as we go forward, maybe than what we've had in the past. So I think strategic supplementation this year is, is going to be key for us. Uh, we've seen some moderation to an extent in, in some feed prices from what they were a couple of years ago. Um, they've, you know, some things have moderated a little bit. Some of our protein and energy sources, uh, of course, we've seen a correction in this corn market now, which is, has kind of changed things for us. But certainly still, we're at a higher cost structure than what we've been. And I think now, if folks are making pregnancy checking uh, decisions right now, and if they're going to be doing a lot of that on cow herds here over the next month or so, really using that time when you've got females in and assess them for body condition score is really important and get a good, accurate read on where those cows are condition score wise. Because if you've got some cows, if, if they're thin, that last 60 to 90 today, 90 days prior to calving is really critical. And then that's when we can we can use that time to increase weight and condition on a set of cows. And we can still do it fairly economically at that point. It's a whole lot harder to do that after calving. But if we need to make some strategic supplementation decisions prior to calving, now is a good time to be doing that and 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 identifying females if we need to if we need to put some additional supplementation into. And at the same time, too, if body condition score is on our side, maybe we don't calve till a little bit later in the spring. Uh, and we don't necessarily have to supplement those females here uh, during the, the initial part of the fall and, and, and maybe on and through the end of the year if forage quality is, is, is adequate for us. We've got enough forage out there for those females to meet their needs. If conditions on our side, we don't have to supplement those females. Uh, I think this, this is a year where it would be, it would be uh, very beneficial for us to, to do that. So Really getting an adequate uh, read on body condition, strategic supplementation, uh, understanding forage quality, the basics. We, we talk about that a lot with folks, but uh, understanding forage quality is really critical through sampling. And uh, that's that, that's it, it's easier said than done. And, and we always we always see issues with that every year. And that's it's going to be key for us this year with, with lower forage inventories, as you mentioned. So following up on that, you had, you, you mentioned good body condition or a little bit thin. Give me some more details. What are you looking for cows? What would you expect them to be at this time of year? And when would you intervene? Because you said that may be your cut point on whether you'd supplement or not. Absolutely. I, I think if we've got females right now, if they're a condition score, five or less. And so, you know, we're thinking about a female that she's got uh, some more, uh, she, we're, we're thinking about a female that's going to have uh, more visible, uh, or, excuse me, I'm going to rephrase that. She's going to have, uh, we're going to be able to see rib, you know, rib bones, her spinous process a little bit better. Uh, she's going to have not as smooth of appearance, especially when we, when we look at her from behind her shoulder and back across her top line. Uh, less full across her tail head, through her hooks and pins. So a little bit thinner female. 
that those are the types of females we really want to study closely. And if we if we can intervene with those types of females that 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 have that appearance uh, for us, uh, they're going to be the ones that are you know going to be more challenging for us if we don't take a more proactive approach and add some weight and some condition to them uh, as we go forward into the winter. Conversely, female that's condition score five or better, so if she's a, has a smoother appearance to her, uh, more full, especially across her tail head when you look at where she's deposited that condition uh, and that body energy reserves, uh, you know, those those types of females, there's a real, real key uh, distinction between a four and a five, especially when we look at pregnancy rates and those types of things. Uh, those females certainly are ones that we've got to focus on a little bit closer. So, you know, those, those females that are, that are, that have got condition on them, those, those are going to be the ones where, um, you know, especially if we're farther out from calving, you know, we can, we can maintain that female, uh, on a lower quality forage base, uh, maybe with a lower amount of supplement here initially starting off with, um, and if we can, we can avoid, uh, you know, putting a lot of uh, unnecessary feed into those females, that's going to be beneficial for us as we, as we go. So really kind of reading females for those key indicators, I think is, I think is important. Certainly, uh, you know, you flip it around a little bit, fall calving cows, you know, this time of year, you, you mentioned spring calving cows, but folks with fall calving cows uh, right now where, you know, they're going to be getting farther into lactation uh, and especially if mother nature kind of starts to work against us, uh, that's going to be, going to be important to watch what we're doing from a, from a management nutrition standpoint on them as well too. Well, and I like your, I like your point that you made earlier. Right now, we've got time. So you've got time on the spring calving cows. The fall calving cows, you only have a little bit of time before their breeding season is going to come up. But if that's you right. have time, you can do a lot with cow nutrition. Yep. And that's and that's the, that's the thing. I think that's one of the things we always have to be you know, focused on emphasizing with, with producers is, is it's being proactive. It's thinking ahead. And, and, and it's, it's really easy, I think, for for folks, we get busy with other activities and other things, and all of a sudden, calving rolls around pretty quick. And if we've not done those things to uh, to really prepare ourselves uh, from a from a nutrition standpoint, and really, that just goes back to body condition on these females going into calving. Most of the most of the the problems when I've worked with producers where we've had issues with with you know either low milk production, uh, high rates of calf death loss right around the time of calving. You know th- those types of things. When we run into a to an issue like that, more times than not, it is tied back to a deficiency in protein or energy uh, somewhere either late gestation or early lactation, more so than it is anything else. And so, uh, understanding that 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 last sixty to ninety days prior to calving is really critical. Um, you know this better than anybody. The importance of colostrum. And, and, and how, how that interacts with colostrum quality, all those things, uh, it's, it's so critical for us. And, and uh, when we ran into challenging situations with calf death loss, uh, when I worked with producers on that, it's, it's more times than not tied back to something like that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that nutrition through gestation impacts a lot, and we don't always see it right away. And, and you mentioned this earlier, it's the biological lag of cows. Right. It's it's different than 
many of our other production species, if we think of uh, swine or dairy or, or even feedlot scenarios, you have all stages of production going all the time and you have daily inputs and measurements. With cows, we have a breeding and you mentioned 16 months later, we have a calf that we can sell. It uh, There's a big lag there between everything that happens from the time that cow was bred all the way through. So, which, which leads me to my, I also wanted to ask you, I know you do some research, you have other research that you see that, that others do. What are, what are some of the most exciting things you see in cow-calf research right now? You know, I, I would say uh, some of the things that I think are, are really going to be integral for us uh, going forward is uh, having a better handle on, on what vitamin requirements are in cows and, and how, how, how our requirements potentially need to change uh, as we advance cows through, through stages of, of production. Uh, that's that's one that there's there's being some progress made in that, but but boy, what we know in that is so limited, and and uh, we really have we really got an opportunity there, I think, to really increase our our knowledge base, and that is that is that is one that I think is is really really important. Um, on the on the other hand, too, I think another area that uh, um, that I, I think just in general we're we're lacking in is we we looked at. You know, this talk ties back into what we're discussing here. We've looked at uh, uh, situations where we've under-supplemented females, uh, you know, during that during that late gestation time period. Well, okay, if we're trying to understand what the implications are of under-supplementing, but but have we really been able to truly understand, you know, what what requirements are during that time period, and you know, what does you know, what does additional supplementation, higher levels of protein or energy supplementation look like uh, in, a, in a female? What kinds of responses can we see there, uh, both in her production and it ties back to reproduction, but then what implications does that potentially have on, on calf performance as well, too? So it's kind of looking at it from a little different angle there. Well, I think a great point on the both the vitamin and the nutrition side a lot of the research that was done, and you you correct me, but a lot of the research that was done to establish those requirements is not recent. So a lot of our a lot of our nutrition requirements are based on things that were in the past, and and arguably cattle are different, and the way we feed them is different. Is that a fair statement? Well, I think certainly on the as we think about vitamin nutrition in the cow, I think that is certainly I think that's certainly true. Absolutely. And we, we've got, you know, there, there's colleagues around the country that are making some efforts in that, just in general, in our field, our professional field. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very, very much needed. And uh, I, I think our, our industry professionals, uh, you know, whether they be nutritionists or veterinarians or folks who are on the feed service side of the business, there's information there that they could certainly stand to benefit from. Uh, and then ultimately our, our producers at, at the end of the day. So a lot of, there's a lot of folks that can benefit from, uh, from additional efforts in that area. It's challenging to do, but it's, it's, it's beneficial, certainly. Yeah. Back to, back to what we said earlier, it's a, the same applies to research. There's a biological lag in cows. So if we're going to do vitamin mineral or nutrition research and look at how it impacts the weaned calf or her next reproductive cycle, those are not short projects. That's right. 
That's right. You want to be sure your grad student is signed up for the long haul with those projects. And the, those 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 types of things are they're very much needed, and and it's it's more challenging to do, absolutely. But yeah, it's uh, we could we could really really benefit from that. Yeah, I think there's some there's some real benefits there. And um, speaking of the, we've talked about the research, we talked about the areas of challenges. Is there anything we're missing? Anything else big on the radar screen for CalCAF that we're missing as we've had this conversation? You know, I, I think those are I think those are the those are the big things. You know, uh, on on the reproduction side of of, of things, I think uh, uh, you know things that we can do to better understand male fertility. I think that, those are some things that uh, um, you know there's there's certainly you know progress that could be made in that. Um, you know, there's some folks working on refining and improving uh, responses to some of these estrus synchronization protocols uh, that I think are. Uh, I think that there's really interesting work being done in that area. Um, it's got to fit with how producers manage and, and, and how they're going to be able to implement that. Right. But, uh, but that is very much, very much interesting. And I think we're going to see some neat work, uh, be, be done on that here as we, as we go also. Absolutely. The male fertility is notoriously, there's, there's some aspects of it, depending on what you lump in there that are notoriously hard to measure. So we can measure fertility as far as are the is the semen viable is he able to breed a cow but we can't measure some of the other aspects and then when we go to the ai sire makes it a little bit trickier but great great info there it's time for our famous three as we kind of wrap up here jason i've got a couple questions for you here at the end just to now now we're going to move on from science to a little bit more of our personal interest and one of the purposes of this show is to share information with leading professionals. So uh, one question is, what is your favorite beef-related book or resource? So it could be a website, could be something that you read. Where, do, where does the expert get his information? Well, I think um, there's, a, there's a lot of good resources out there. I think our surrounding states have all got very good uh, beneficial extension website. So I'm going to put a plug in for uh, our neighbors to the north, University of Nebraska, Oklahoma State, uh, and, and Missouri as well, too. I've got some good good resources. And so um, I appreciate the efforts from our colleagues uh, from our other universities uh, that are that are making uh, making work and contributions in uh, in these areas because they all have very good uh, accessible uh, timely information on on uh, our extension sites. That's very very good to see, and we need to continue to have that for our for our industry. Uh, absolutely. So those are some main places uh, that I go, uh, and then of course, you know, uh, things like you know, journal animal science, uh, professional animal scientists, those types of journals. Uh, good information there as well too uh, that we um, you know most of us all see. But yeah, there's great information there. Okay. So what, what about outside of ag? Do you have a favorite book or a favorite uh, resource, something that you read outside of ag? I'm going to have to think on that one as far as what my favorite one would be, um, as far as just a good general, general resource. Um, good to Great is an excellent, excellent book. Uh, I'm sure most have seen that, but that's one that uh, uh, I've 
I personally really enjoyed that one. I read that one several times, and that's a uh, that's a good resource about just uh, not only business development but just personal and professional development. I think that's a very very valuable one as well. Yep, that's a good one. Last question for you: uh, in in your opinion, what sets apart successful beef professionals? So maybe what what makes them somebody that you would call successful or what are the characteristics that they have that really sets them apart? I think as I think about the folks that, that are in our industry and, and the thing that, that I uh, really enjoy and appreciate about, appreciate about the folks that are within our profession. And when I say profession, I mean all, all professionals that are working in the beef cattle industry. So it's that, it's that broad, right? They can be, they can be, in, in at a research institution, land grant institution, private industry, you know, in a number of different fields, right? But folks that are in that industry uh, are humble and and hardworking, and, and the folks that I see that that I really uh, that I really appreciate and, and that I really uh, have a tremendous amount of respect for are the ones that are never afraid to ask questions. And uh, and and always uh, willing to uh, to collaborate and appreciate the opinions of others and ways where we can glean information from each other uh, in, in a in a positive uh, positive manner that develops uh, people and and makes folks feel appreciated. And I, I see I see a lot of a lot of professionals around our industry doing that, and I think that that is. That's a unique thing about us that work in in the cattle industry uh, and in that profession because I don't think it's that way everywhere and in all industries and uh, uh, that's that's I think that that is that is a special aspect to uh, to what we do. We're all working together for for a greater cause uh, and uh, and our, our ability to work together, uh, collaborate, learn from each other, uh, have respect for one another. I, I think that that is. That's that's top notch for me, and and I see a lot of folks doing that. And I think that's I think that's great. Absolutely, and I what a great answer is is what sets it apart. If I'm paraphrasing what you said, is that continuous learning because you were humble enough to ask the questions to say how do we get better, and you're collaborating, working with others. So really enjoy that answer. I think that's that's excellent. I've enjoyed visiting with you this afternoon. It's been fun. It's kind of a shame our time's up. We've got more cow stuff i'm sure we'll be able to catch up offline but thanks thanks to everyone else who joined us as well on the beef podcast and thanks dr warren well thank you very much i appreciate it anytime